Well, this morning we will go ahead and finish up the book of 2 Peter. So go ahead and open your Bibles up to 2 Peter chapter 3. Second Peter chapter three. And now that I've had you turned there, let's go ahead and jump back into chapter two before we move on. Peter has been warning us under the leading of the Holy Spirit, of course, that we need to keep an eye out. We need to beware of false teachers and really false Christians, for that matter, amongst us in the body of Christ. Um, You can go ahead and listen to those past teachings if you'd like. They're available on our website at aloveoutreach.com. But here in chapter 2, I'd like for us to start reading in verse 15, and then we'll go ahead and read right on into chapter 3. So, 2 Peter chapter 2 verse 15, is speaking of those imposters amongst believers. And it says, They have forsaken the right way and gone astray, following the way of Balaam, the son of Baor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness. But he was rebuked for his iniquity. A dumb donkey, speaking with a man's voice, restrained the madness of the prophet. These are wells without water, Clouds carried away by a tempest, for whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. For when they speak great swelling words of emptiness, they allure through the lust of the flesh, through lewdness, the ones who have actually escaped from those who live in error. While they promise them liberty, they themselves are slaves of corruption." For by whom a person is overcome, by him also he is brought into bondage. For if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world, through the knowledge of Jesus, through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome, the latter end is worse for them than the beginning. For it would have been better For them to have not known the way of righteousness, than to have known it, to turn from the holy commandment delivered to them. But it has happened to them according to the true proverb, a dog returns to his own vomit, and a sow having washed to her wallowing in the mire. So people are indeed today deceived by false teachers, and the false teachers have theirs coming to them in the end. But Peter here also warns that those that follow these false teachers have theirs coming in the end too. This is why it's so important to stick with the Scriptures and to stick with the Scriptures alone. God's Word contains all that we need to know for a life of godliness, right? It's all contained in His Word. We don't need to follow the teachings of men. But unfortunately, today, many in the body of Christ have their teachers that they follow, right? More, and they follow them, in, in some senses, they follow them more than they do the Word of God itself. 
But we have to be careful to always stick close to the Word of God because it's easy to be deceived by false teachers. It's easy to be deceived by people that come up with their philosophies and their thoughts about God and all of this stuff and try and trick us and and change our minds. But if we're rooted and grounded in the Word of God, this won't happen happen to us. And as Peter closes out his second epistle here, he says in verse 1 of chapter 3, he says, Beloved, I now write to you this second epistle, in both of which I stir up your pure minds by way of reminder that you be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and the commandment of us, the apostles of our Lord and Savior. Now, We see some interesting things here in verses 1 and 2. For one, we see that Peter states that he wants to stir up our pure minds. Okay, That word pure there in in the original Greek means just that. It means pure. It means unsullied, right? It's also a word that implies that your mind is found pure when unfolded, and examined in the sun's light. That's what that word gives the implication. What does pure mean? It means you, you dissect something, you open it up, and you hold a bright light to it. And you say, oh yeah, it's been tested. And yes, it is pure, right? So if you were to examine your own mind today, if you were to hold the contents of your thoughts up to the light of the sun, you know, would it be found pure, your mind? Would the contents of your thoughts be found pure? And Peter here, by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is writing to stir that up in us, to stir us up to that pure mind. You know, our way of thinking should be found pure. And notice there in verse 2 again, it says that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior. Now, let me ask you a question here. Where is it that we find these words that Peter speaks of there? He speaks of the words of the holy prophets, and he speaks of the commandments of the apostles of the Lord and Savior. So where do we today find those words? In our Bibles, right? We find it in the Holy Bible. So in order to keep our minds pure, And in order to stir up holy thoughts within our minds, we must be mindful, as Peter says here, of the words that were spoken before. By who? By the prophets, by the apostles. So today we have that, don't we? We're blessed to have that. God has made sure that we have it. We have the words of Abraham, Moses, Samuel, Ezra, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel. We have the words of the prophets, and we also have the words of the apostles. We have the words of Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Paul, Peter, right? God has given us, and the Holy Spirit spoke through these men so that we have these words, the very words of God, and these words are what will stir up our minds to have pure thoughts, okay? And rather than having all the destructive thoughts that this world can bring us, right? And all these men that I just mentioned, they spoke under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And again, we have their writings today. It's just amazing to me. These writings are here to stir us up to holiness, to to righteousness, to godliness, 
That's why we study the Word of God like this. That's why we go back and do this. That's why I'm careful not to give you the teachings of, of a man, but I'm careful to put your eyes into the Word of God and let you see this is the teaching of the Word of God, right? And I submit to you this morning that the Word of God needs to take front and center in your list of priorities. You should make it your aim to be a student of God's Word. Feed on His Word as if the health of your soul depends upon it, for indeed it does. The health of your soul depends upon the fact as to whether you're in the Word of God or not, because it's the only way we get to that place that Peter's talking about here, those pure thoughts, that pure mind, right? And Peter here, again, he says, I want to stir this up. I want to remind you of this, right? Because he's already speaking to believers, but we need to be reminded of this, don't we? And he gives another warning here in verse 3. He says, knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lust. Okay, this is what the scoffers will be doing. They'll be walking according to their own lust. So what is a scoffer? Well, the Greek word used there for the word scoffer is the word empiktes. Okay, empiktes. And it's a word that simply speaks of a mocker. Okay? Someone that, that mocks. Someone that makes fun of Christianity. They mock or they joke about the things that Christians say or do. And these are the these kind of people are out there today, aren't they? And Peter here in verse four speaks specifically of people who say, where is the promise of his coming in verse four? Where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. So for all of these years. A couple thousand years now, people have been saying that Jesus is coming again. Where is he? You know, my dad heard that in his lifetime. My grandfather heard that in his lifetime. The apostles are dead. Many Bible preachers have died. And on and on it goes. And where is Jesus? Where is this second coming? The world continues to turn as it always has, and nothing has changed, right? This is what these scoffers will say. But Peter goes on in verse 5 to say, For this they willfully forget, that the word of God, the heavens, were of old, and the earth standing out of water and in the water. I want to read that again because I messed up one word there that's important. For this is, for this they willfully forget that by the word of God. I left that word out when I read that. That by the word of God the heavens were of old. And the earth standing out of water and in the water by which the world that then existed perished being flooded with water. So Peter's saying these scoffers, they forget that God's the creator of all things, right? And how did it all happen? By his word, right? We learn from Genesis that God spoke everything into being, don't we? And we also know from the word of God that the earth was destroyed with a flood, don't we? And then verse 7 says, but the heavens and the earth 
which are now preserved by the same word are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. Now, it's important that we understand verse 7 here. Because speaking of the heavens and the earth, right, the sky above, the ground below, they are now preserved by the same word, right? The same word that created everything in the beginning, God. It's all preserved right now for, for a period of time. It's all still being preserved by God. But it's reserved for something, right? And if you remember when we studied Hebrews chapter 1, we saw that God has in these last days spoken to us how? It says in Hebrews chapter 1 that in times past he spoke to us in this way, but in these last days he speaks to us now through Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ is, we know from John chapter 1, he is the word made flesh. He is the living word. We know from Hebrews chapter 1 also that he is upholding all things by the word of his power. So right now, it all still stays together because of the word of God. And you and me as born again Christians in Jesus Christ, our lives are held together by the word of God. This is how we stir up our pure minds. This is how we are to walk. We walk by faith, not by sight. How do we know all of this? Because of the word of God. And from Colossians chapter 1, we also know that by him, right, speaking of Jesus, by him, all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things consist. So Peter is saying here, to these scoffers, that the word of God stands true. It, it always has stood true. And there's something coming, okay? And the word of God tells us that these type of people are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. This is what's going to happen to the ungodly. They'll be here for that day, right? That time will come upon them in one way, shape, or form. They'll face judgment, right? So people will mock, but mockers of God's word will ultimately be judged. And Peter reminds us here in verse 8 that as it pertains to the coming of the Lord, he says, But beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. Now you've heard me say this before. But this being the case, right, that one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years is one day. How long has the Lord really been gone from the earth? Well, it's been around 2000 earthly years, right? So that would make it about two days on the Lord's timetable that he's been gone. So it's not been that long in his timetable. OK, so. To us, it's been long, but to the Lord, it really hasn't been that long. And he has a very good reason as to why he is delaying his coming. Verse 9 tells us, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness. So in other words, right, 
the mockers, they, they may count it as slackness. And if we're not careful, if we're not stirring up our pure minds on the word of God, we can begin to think in that way too. And we can say, well, the Lord's being slack. Where is the promise of his coming? All of this time, right? But the Lord doesn't count that as slackness. Verse 9 continues and tells the reason that he is delaying his coming. It says, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So Jesus wants people to get saved, even the mockers of this world. God loved this world so much. Jesus loves this world so much. God has gone to such great lengths to redeem mankind. And he is patient and he is kind to give everyone the opportunity to be saved. All that people need to do is to repent and turn to faith in the Lord and they will be saved. But the day of the Lord's return is coming. And verse 10 continues. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. So we see here that Peter still continues to speak of the second coming of Jesus Christ to the earth. He says it will happen unexpectedly. The heavens will pass away with a great noise. The earth will be burned up. Now, let's mark this page and turn in your Bibles to the book of Matthew chapter 24. So the first book of the New Testament, Matthew chapter 24. Matthew 24, and let's look down at verse 27. What's taken place here in this chapter is that Jesus has been asked about his second coming. And he gives quite a long answer to it. But we're going to look down at verse 27. He says, For as the lightning comes from the east and flashes to the west, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. So that tells us what? Well, that tells us that it's going to happen quickly, in a flash, if you will, right? Verse 28. For for wherever the carcass is, there the eagles will be gathered together. The carcass here speaks of what? It speaks of corruption. And corruption is going to be devoured at the coming of the Lord. There will be no more corruption. Everything will be burned up. Everything will be changed. Okay. Then Jesus says in verse 29, immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. So verse 29 gives us an indication here of the time frame on the coming of the Lord in a sense, right? The second coming of the Lord will be after the tribulation period. Jesus says here that immediately at the end of the tribulation, there's going to be all of this cosmic activity, if you will, right? The sun will be darkened 
And of course, since the moon reflects the light of the sun, the moon's not going to shine either, right? Stars will be falling and it's going to be a climatic mess, right? Earthquakes and storms galore, right? When the moon's not there, what happens to the ocean? You know, what happens to everything once all of this happens? Everything goes wild. And all of this will be going on. And then Jesus says in verse 30, Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven. And then all the tribes of the earth will mourn. And they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. So what a glorious time is being described here. The Son of Man, the one whom they had spat upon, they punched, they whipped, they crucified. He will appear in all of his glory. And it says there that the tribes will mourn at this time. These are the Jews, right? They will, they will now understand that Jesus was the Messiah. We crucified him long ago along with the Gentiles in that day. And they will mourn at what they have done. They will look upon him whom they have pierced, and they will mourn. And he will send, verse 31 says, and he will send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet. Remember, Peter said that there would be a great noise, didn't he? When we read back in Peter, he said there'd be a great noise. Jesus says, and he will send his angels with the sound of a great trumpet. And they will gather together his elect from the four winds, from one end of the heaven to the other. Who are the elect? Who are God's chosen people? The Jews. They will be gathered. This is after the tribulation period. Okay? And we're going to study all of this as we keep going through and we finally get through the whole New Testament and we study Revelation. We'll talk about this. But the Jews will be gathered from, from the four winds, right? The ends of the earth, from one end of heaven to the other. Then verse 32, Jesus says, Now learn this parable from the fig tree. When its branches has already become tender and puts forth leaves, you know that summer is near. So you also, when you see all these things, know that it is near at the doors. Again, this is at the end of the tribulation, right? Now, Jesus has explained in this chapter here a whole lot of things that I'm not having you read right now because that's not really our topic this morning as we study Second Peter. But I encourage you to go back and read this chapter here in its entirety. But Jesus refers to all he has said here in verse 33 when he says, so you also, when you see all these things, and we didn't read all the things because we didn't read the whole chapter, but he says, when you see all of these things, know that it is near at the doors. Okay. The things he says in this chapter are the signs we are to look for. But Jesus goes on to say in verse 34, Assuredly, I say to you, this generation will by no means pass away till all these things take place. Now, this, this scripture here trips some people up if they don't study it properly. Because that word generation there in verse 34, in the original word, in the original Greek, it is the word genea. Okay? And it's a word that means men of the same stock, natural descendants, a group of men very like each other in endowments, pursuits, and character. 
again. Let me read that to you again because it's important that we understand what he's talking about here when he says a generation. He's talking about men of the same stock, natural descendants, okay? So he's speaking of a race of people. Jesus is saying here to the Jews that this generation, this, the Jewish race, will not pass away. The Jewish race will remain all the way till the end. Okay? So for all those people today that think they're going to drive the Jews into the sea, like Iran proclaims they'll do, right? For Hitler, people like that who thought that he would get rid of the Jewish race, that is never going to happen. And Jesus said that would never happen. Okay? Jesus will return. And the Jews, his elect, will see his return. That race of people will still exist at that day. That generation will still be alive. That stock of people will still be alive on the earth when Jesus comes again. Okay? So for anybody that thinks somehow they're going to get rid of the Jews, which many people in the world would love to do for some reason or another, the anti-Semitism, it's not going to happen. These are God's people. These are God's elect. They are the chosen. Okay? Then Jesus goes on to say in verse 35, Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. So here again, we see the importance of the words of the Lord. They will never fail. And we as believers, again, I say as born again believers in Jesus Christ, we are called to walk in obedience to his word, not just to hear his word, not just to read his word, but obey his word by living it out. Right. And still speaking of his return, Jesus says in verse 36, but of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my father only. So as Jesus spoke here, he didn't know of his second coming when it was going to be right. But he has some insight about what it will be like in that time. And he gives us that insight of what it will be like in that time. In verse 37, he says, But as the days of Noah were, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day that Noah entered the ark, and did not know until the flood came and took them all away, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. So people as a whole will not be paying any attention to the coming of the Lord. Do you remember when we studied Jesus' triumphant entry into Jerusalem, what we call Palm Sunday, right? When we studied that day, they were partying, they were doing what they're doing. No clue, no idea that just on the outskirts of the city, just a couple miles down the road, the king was coming. The one that was going to fulfill everything they were celebrating, everything that they were waiting for, he was coming. And they were just living life like normal. And it didn't matter that he was, that he was coming into town. Right? So you see, um, you see it on the news, right, that, some man, he'll buy a billboard and 
He'll put a, he'll buy some ad space and he'll put it out and the news will cover it and everything. And he'll say, this is the day the Lord is coming. What was it? Was it May something? And then it was October 21st a couple years ago or something like that. I don't remember the days, you know, that this guy said and the news covered it and everything like that. Right. But they're not going to know because Jesus tells us here that it will happen without people knowing about it. It's going to happen quickly. It's going to happen suddenly. And they're going to be doing what they're doing, just like they were in the days of Noah. There was one man preaching righteousness, and that was Noah. And everyone else was ignoring it and going on with their lives and mocking it. And there were scoffers. That dude's building a boat. He says something about some rain coming. We don't even know what that is. That dude's crazy. And they'll say that about people who stand for the Bible today. How do you really believe that? You really believe Jesus is coming again? How long have you been believing that? Didn't your dad die believing that? So forth and so on, right? It goes, right? But verse 40, Jesus continues, Then two men will be in the field. One will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken and the other left. So Jesus is saying here that there will be an element of surprise at his second coming. Of the, the two men in the field, one will be surprised by it and the other will not. Same, same goes for the women because, again, Jesus said that his second coming will be as it was in the day, days of Noah. And he indicates to us here in these verses that it's life as usual. Everybody's out doing their work. They're marrying. They're divorcing. They're eating. They're drinking. They're, they're, there's no thoughts about the coming of the Lord. The flood of judgment came and took them away in that day, right, in Noah's day, and it was all a shock to them, and the flood of judgment will take the majority of people by surprise at his second coming as well, as well right? It says that Noah, right, like I, like I quoted earlier, again, Noah was a preacher of righteousness, but it was only his family that took heed. It was only his family that got on the ark. Well, it's the same today. Most people will ignore the second coming of Christ and people will begin to mock it, right? But Jesus warns us to be alert and ready. And he says in verse 42, watch therefore, for you do not know what hour your Lord is coming, but know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Therefore, so Jesus is given an example here with that, right? And he says, therefore, you also be ready for the son of man is coming at an hour you do not expect. So we don't know the time, do we? Only the father knows. And as we flip back now to second Peter chapter three, Peter is, ex is simply explaining that element of surprise. I didn't go into great detail on Matthew chapter 24. There's a lot more we can talk about with that on some of those verses that I didn't touch on. But what I'm pointing out to you here is just what Peter was pointing out to us in 2 Peter chapter 3. And that is that element of surprise, right? He says that in verse 10, right? And he tells us that nothing will be the same anymore. And in verse 11, he continues, Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct 
and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with a fervent heat. Okay, so he's echoing what we just read Jesus talking about, right? But this is a question that we must take seriously, and that I believe we must all answer. And that is, if all of this is true, what kind of person should you be? What kind of person should I be? How should we be living? If this earth someday will be no more, should our focus be on the things of this earth? Should our lives be all about eating, drinking, working, making money, marrying, all of these things? Or should we have some concern in our lives about holy living, about living in a godly manner? We must ponder this question that God's word poses to us here. We are called to live holy, godly, and righteously. Remember, Hebrews chapter 12, 14 says that without holiness, no one will see the Lord. So we must pay attention to how we live. And we must be ready at all times for the coming of the Lord. Peter goes on in verse 13 and says, Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. So where we are now, righteousness does not dwell, does it? We live in a place where unrighteousness dwells. Unrighteousness rules and reigns in many ways. Idolatry, fornication, murder, envy, such, all of these things. Verse 14, Therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, be diligent to be found in Him, to be found by Him in peace, without spot and blameless. blameless. Again, Peter is not mincing any words here. How you live does matter. You should make it your aim to live a life that is blameless and spotless. Verse 15, and consider that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation. So he's bringing that up again. Why is he tarrying? Why is he waiting? Right? By the leading of the Holy Spirit, Peter is saying here that the, the reason the Lord tarries is because he wants people to get saved. And he wants us to live holy lives and blameless lives. And we must keep watch and be ready. You know, Paul talked about the, these same things. And verse 15 here continues. Peter says, as also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom, wisdom given to him, has written to you. As also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things in which are some things hard to understand, which untaught and unstable people twist to their own destruction, as they do also the rest of the scriptures. Okay. Now look, I'm going to step out on a limb here and tell you something here. One of the things that Paul wrote quite extensively about, if you think about it and you read Paul's writings, one of the things that he wrote quite extensively about is grace. And people today sure have twisted the scriptures and twisted the teaching of grace. They have twisted the topic of grace in order that they would not have to live a righteous and a holy life. They say, oh, well, I'm saved by grace. 
so I can live however I want. I don't need to live in the way Peter's talking about here in righteousness and holiness because Paul said, I'm saved by grace. And Peter says, that's unstable, untaught people that twist these teachings, that twist these scriptures, right? I've quoted these scriptures to you often, but I want you to mark this page and I want you to turn to Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2. Important that we understand these scriptures. Starting in verse 11. It says, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to how many? To all men, right? So the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. So that's what we're talking about here. We're talking about that grace, the grace that brings salvation. And what does that grace do? Verse 12, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust. Okay, so we are denying ungodliness and worldly lust when we're under grace. That's what we're doing. So we're not, so we're not living being led by the things of our fleshly desires, right? The things that others around us are doing. How then should we be living? Verse 10, or excuse me, verse 12 continues. We should live soberly, righteously, and godly. When? In this, in the present age, right? Not when we get to heaven, but now, in this time, we are to be living this way, soberly, righteously, and godly. What else are we to be doing? Verse 13, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's what we're talking about this morning. The second coming of Jesus Christ. Peter says, it's not delaying, it's coming. And you know what? You should be living in such a way that you're looking for it. And you should be ready in such a way that you're, you're ready for it, right? The same thing that Jesus spoke about, Peter spoke about, Paul spoke about it, right? And why should we be living like this? Because Jesus went to the greatest lengths to redeem us. And verse 14 here says, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from what? From every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people zealous for good works. You see, we are to stop the lawless deeds. We are to now live in a holy and a righteous manner. And we are to be zealous for good works. Then verse 15 says, Speak these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one despise you. And that's what I'm doing here this morning. But what will you do with what you're hearing? What will I do with what I'm seeing in the Word of God? We must take heed to God's Word today. Our actions must speak louder than our words. We must not be that type of people that I talked about at the end of worship that praises the Lord with our lips, but our hearts are far from Him, right? Because it really might be today. Okay? We don't know what, what, when the Lord is coming. We don't know His time clock, right? And as we flip back to close out 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 17, You therefore, beloved, since you know this, 
beforehand. Okay, and as we sit here today, we're now all been warned. Right? We can't say we didn't know this. You now know this. Since you know this beforehand, beware lest you also fall from your own steadfastness, being led away with the error of the wicked. So do you understand why the word of God warns us of this here? It warns us of this here because it can happen to us. We can fall away from our own steadfastness. We can be led away. All we have to do is start hanging around with others that behave in an unrighteous manner. And we will soon follow suit, right? So, but we must not do that. We must remain steadfast in the word of the Lord. We must guard our hearts. We must guard our minds. We must not allow our eyes to be focused on the things of this world. You know, advertising, you know, advice for your attention. It, it, it wants your attention and it puts the world right in front of your face. The things we watch in the movies and television and the secular music all want to draw your mind away to things that are not you know, keeping us steadfast in the Lord. And we've got to guard our hearts and we've got to guard our minds and we've got to stir up our pure minds. Like Peter is saying, we got to walk in righteousness. We're called to walk in this. We're called to walk in holiness. All right. And what will we choose today? Will we choose worldliness today? Or will we choose righteousness and holiness? And this second epistle of Peter here ends with an exhortation that you do often hear me quote, and that is, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That should be your aim. That should be your desire, because to him be glory both now and forever. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, we've read your word. We've seen your word. You have given us your word. You have given us the words of the prophet, the words of the apostles. And these words are divinely inspired. And they cut through us, Lord. And they convict us. There is no condemnation in you, but there is conviction by your Holy Spirit. And Lord, what do we do with that conviction? Lord, I pray that we will grow in the grace and in the knowledge of you, that we would desire to live righteously, soberly, that we would desire to live holy when now, Lord, in this present age. We must deal with your word as we've read it and studied it. And we thank you again for the life that we have here on this earth, but we thank you for eternal life, Lord that you shed your blood for us, Lord, and that you are coming again. We pray, Lord, that your will would be done in our hearts and minds as we continue to seek you. And we thank you again for this time in your work. In Jesus' name, amen.